we just kind of like took a bunch of notes every time we traveled, never being too serious about it until we went to uh, Spain um, for our anniversary one year. And we stayed at this place called Vivood, V-I-V-O-O-D. And it's this, I'd never heard of anything like this. It was called a landscape hotel. Um, it was designed by a group of architects, developed and designed by them. And they were kind of like these modern uh, hotel rooms as pods, like on stilts on the side of this um, like agricultural valley. Uh, and they, they had like maybe 25 of them, just a beautiful setting. Um, and then they had a nice pool and a, and a restaurant there uh, just for the people staying. And we just had a blast there and we loved it. And we were like, this is amazing. Like, this is what we would love to do something like this in the, in the States. Like we're not seeing anybody doing anything like that. So that was kind of where we got serious. Welcome to Behind the Stays, a podcast that shares the stories behind your favorite Airbnbs and the hosts who've made them memorable. Behind the Stays is brought to you by Spontaneous, a free weekly newsletter that brings you a carefully curated list of last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. Sign up at spontaneous.com. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Enjoy the show. In every marketplace, there are the Davids and the Goliaths. While it's hard to fathom now, Amazon was a David when Borders and Barnes & Noble were the bookstore Goliaths. And don't forget that Apple was a David when Xerox, IBM, and Motorola were consumer technology Goliaths. Today, I wanna to introduce you to the David of short-term rental platforms, a company called Wander. Whether you're embarking on a family vacation, planning a getaway with friends, yearning for a workcation, or organizing a company offsite, there is a Wander for every occasion. Wonders aren't vacation homes, they're better. Inspiring views, modern workstations, restful beds, hotel-grade cleaning, and 24-7 concierge service are just a few of the guarantees that come when you stay with Wander. Wander is in search of high-end vacation homes in incredible locations around the US. Think national parks, beaches, mountains, you know the type with proven annual revenue. If you are a short-term rental owner looking to sell your property to someone who will appreciate what you've built, send the Wander team an email with all the important deets like monthly rev, monthly expenses, yada, yada, to hello at wander.com. Again, that's hello at wander, W-A-N-D-E-R.com. If Wander makes an offer, you can count on it being all cash, quick and hassle-free. So if you've been thinking of selling, even remotely, why not start a conversation with our friends at Wander? Send them an email at hello at wander.com. In just a moment, you'll meet Chad Ludeman, co-founder of Post Green Homes and Loco Hotel. Chad moved around a lot as a kid, but spent high school in upstate New York. He's an engineer by trade, but an entrepreneur at heart. Courtney, Chad's wife and business partner, was Chad's most critical sounding board. She shot down most of his business ideas until he started talking about real estate. There was one idea in particular that Chad and Courtney both agreed was worth pursuing, and that was to build a 1,000 square foot house for 100K. This project was the birth of the couple's first business, which was Post Green Homes. And while they learned a lot through this venture, they realized that their hearts were really in the hospitality space. And it was this realization that ultimately led them to found Loco Hotel, that's local with a K, a collection of design-driven boutique luxury hotels. Tune in to hear the exciting story of how Chad and Courtney built their brand and their first three hotels. All right, without further ado, 
get ready to meet Chad. Okay, sir, we are live. Welcome to the show, Chad. How are you? How are you doing this fine Friday, this weekend eve? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you very much. It's a nice weekend here. I'll probably spend some time at the beach. And where are you? Where are you right now? So we live in uh, Cape May, New Jersey, which I have a hard time convincing people that we do. Uh, we moved out of Philly about four years ago, and we've been here full time. Okay, Cape May. Yeah, I've never been, uh, although I have seen some cool short-term rentals there, maybe uh, maybe some of yours. Um, but it's a, it's a privilege to have you on the show. One of the things I like to do to help folks listening get to know you a little bit better is ask folks to describe themselves if, if you were at a cocktail party and somebody were to pop over and you know shake your hand you guys are both getting drinks from the bar right and you make eye contact and it's a uh, hey uh, i'm chad you know i'm zach good to meet you uh uh what do you do and uh you know what what should i know about you how, how might you respond now again it's it's a cocktail party so they don't necessarily want to talk to you all night but they right. they want to know more than just your name right so how how do you uh how do you answer that question yeah, that's a great question. I, I think right now at this stage of my life, I have kind of two canned responses. One is I do real estate stuff. Real estate uh, stuff, got it. And that that allows me to kind of <laughs> not talk about too much in detail uh, if I don't want to or they don't want me to. Um, I don't jump in with, you know, hotelier or anything like that. And if I don't want to talk about real estate at all, I just say I'm a professional problem solver. Ooh. And just kind of confuse them. I like that. I like that. Dude, I feel like that's like such a flex, um, depending on how you say it, right? <laughs> uh, that's a good answer. Yeah, I, I just more and more I've gotten burned out by the real estate entry a little bit and we can all talk about ourselves too much. So I like uh, starting a little more vague now and seeing where it goes. Awesome. Well, I, I like that. Hey, I mean, the good news about that is like you can go deep and wide with respect to what you you know, do with your time. If you, if you're a professional problem solver, there's a, there's a hell of a lot of problems that need to be solved in this world. So, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm thinking about like a, a, a headhunter coming and uh, like looking for professional uh, problem solvers and Hey, maybe there should be more of you. Maybe there should be more of you, Chad, uh, in, in this world. Cause we need them. We need them. Uh, <laughs> um, what did you like growing up? Like what, what did you want to be like? Where, where, I guess, where did you grow up? And then like, what, what did you think you'd be doing with your time when you quote unquote became an adult? Right. Right. Uh, my family moved around a lot. When I was a little kid, you know, I was down South in Alabama. Um, but most of the, most of my, uh, high school and, and grade school and everything, I grew up in, um, upstate New York, Rochester, New York. Okay. Um, I don't know, at 10 years old, I'd probably say something dumb. Like I wanted to be an NBA player or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you play basketball and, growing up? Yeah. Yeah. I played a lot of basketball. And, um, I guess as I got older, you know, everyone was like, Hey, you're good at math and science. Uh, you should be an engineer. So I just kind of like headed that direction, uh, eventually, but I don't think I really had any, uh, major career aspirations of that, that age. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, go to school for engineering is that where did you end up going to college i did yeah i went to college for uh, uh ended up in industrial management industrial engineering kind of you know like efficiency expert type of thing in the manufacturing world um so it was mostly engineering some business classes um and i did that for seven or eight years but when i was in college probably a year or two into college i realized that hey i don't 
I don't really want to be working in a corporate job hmm. uh, forever. I kind of decided then like, Hey, I'm eventually going to do something on my own. Had no idea what that was. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as I was in my corporate job, I was kind of, I asked to be moved around and do a bunch of different things as much as possible. I didn't want to stay in one place and uh, was always kind of, you know, pitching my wife new business ideas, which she kept shooting down until we eventually <laughs> got to real estate. <laughs> That's awesome. How did you, did you guys meet in school? We did. Yeah. We met in school. She was a year behind me. Um, so I moved in, I moved to, uh, South Jersey actually, um, for my, my first job there. And then when we got married a year later, we moved into Philly. So you said you took a, a couple of business classes, like when you were in those, when you were in those classes, I guess, like, were they, were they some of your more favorite, your more liked classes? Was there, was the idea of business pretty attractive to you? And, and was there a moment that you remember where like, you realized, hey, maybe I'm more interested in business than I am at than I am in engineering. And what was that moment, or if you yeah. if you can remember it? No, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, honestly, it was from doing um, internships during the summer. Hmm. So I, I started in um, I want to say mechanical engineering and switched to electrical, or maybe it was vice versa. And um, my internships, I had you know engineering internships in the summer. And they were fine, but I was kind of realizing that, hey, like, this is kind of boring sitting mm. at a desk all day long. I don't know that I fit in so well with these with these areas. You know, one job particularly, I got to work with the owner and he kind of let me see all aspects of the business. And that, I think that's when it was like, hey, I, I think I would like to do something that's not strictly engineering focused and get a little bit more on the business side. Yeah, yeah. And so you... And your wife meeting school afterwards, you start pitching her these these business ideas. And do, do you remember like a, a couple of them that like in hindsight might, might, might seem silly and or they were genius ideas that just never got executed? What what were some of those early ideas? Right. Yeah. I, so the one I usually say is which people have done or multiple people have done is uh um, yeah, she would shoot them down and say they were terrible ideas. And I like to come back and say, look, somebody did it and they were successful. Um, but it was just this dumb idea for like a t-shirt company. Um, and I'm, I'm typically in between like a medium and a large t-shirt and I'm always, I've always been frustrated. There's so few sizes. So it was kind of like this, huh. uh, custom, uh, sized, like you're ordering a t-shirt almost like you're ordering a suit, right? Mm. So you can be like, uh, Taylor this is my chest dimensions in yeah. my stomach and I want it this long or this short. And, uh, I think there's a couple of people out there that have done something kind of similar. So you get a little bit more, uh, customized t-shirt that fits you, uh, just the way you want it. Chad, that is a problem that I have. I don't think I've consciously realized that I have had, but I have definitely had that like my entire life too. It's always like, you know, yeah. is it, is it a small, is it a medium? Is it small? And, and it's like, it depends on the brand and it depends on the cut and it depends on all these right. factors. Right. And yet right. like, sometimes it's like, you, you don't want to look like you're, you know, just trying to like show off right with a super tight right. shirt and, or you're right. just like, Oh, I could use a little bit more room. <laughs> and yeah. so that's a, that's, yeah, that, that's a great one. Uh, what, what about another one? Any, any other ones come to mind? Oh, geez. That's the one that I, I tell the most. I'm sure there was a bunch of other terrible ideas. Um, 
I don't remember any off the top of my head. That's okay. That's yeah, okay. So, so talk, how do you get into the real real estate space? So finally you pitch, like what was the idea that you pitched to your wife where she was like, okay, like maybe, <laughs> yes, maybe there is some, some legs here. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So I'd always been interested in architecture and, and design. And I started looking at that and cons- even considering going back to school for architecture and design. Hmm. Um, and then I started talking to some friends that were, you know, just getting out of school and working for some firms. And the common theme was we're underpaid, we're overworked. We thought we were going to be designing these amazing buildings that we thought up in, in school, but instead we got to do what these dumb developers want to do, right? (laughs) Come in with their awful ideas and we have to draw it for them. And I, and there was like, just a, that was kind of a light bulb moment because I had, I had read a bunch of books on just like entrepreneurialism and investing and whatever, you know, just kind of dabbling here and there, like through college and my first couple of years and out in corporate world. So that kind of clicked with me like, oh, real estate is always being talked about as the best investment possible. So I'm like, all right, I could, I could meld, you know, having my own small business, investing in real estate and doing the fun part of the architectural design and concept while, you know, I go home and these guys work the late hours and do all the details, which I don't really want to do. So that was kind of a light bulb moment. I don't remember exactly when it happened, but uh, I remember being like, oh, development, that's, that's, that's the ticket I want to do. That yeah. can click. Yeah. Okay. So once you you have this revelation and you you get buy in from from your life partner, what what yeah. happens next? Like how do you how do you sort of like bring that to life? Yeah. Good question. So you know I'm an engineer, so I I just do a ton of research, right? So I just start looking around. Um, I was I knew I wanted to do modern architecture. We're in Philadelphia at a time when you know 15 years ago like hardly anybody was doing anything modern or current um, in the small, you know, townhome kind of spec townhome. So I started looking into that. Um, I started looking into prefab, did a lot of research into that, even container homes. And I quickly kind of found that uh, this prefab is like fun with the press and the design magazines, but it's not, it's not streamlining the process. It's not saving any money at a smaller scale. Hmm. Um, and so I kind of got over that and focused on, all right, well, why don't we just build some uh, modern homes that are just stand out from the, you know, from the pack a little bit. Um, we decided quickly not to do renovations and to focus on new construction. Uh, we hadn't done a couple of renovations ourselves, like while living in the homes. And uh, the margins didn't seem like be there from a business standpoint. You know, you couldn't get the premium like nobody was going to pay for a really quality rehab in philly at that time yeah you're just gonna you know sell it for less than new construction so um so yeah we decided to do new construction um we decided to do modern um it the the market was booming then this was like 2007 2008 probably when we started looking for our first project and people were just buying up, you know, lots, you know, immediately all cash offers. And we're yeah. trying to do our first one with financing and um, first deal ever. So we kept losing lot after lot after lot. And um, eventually, you know, we it caused us to kind of take a step back and say, hey, what are we doing here? We're about to build this house, three bedroom, two bath, 2,000, 2,500 square foot house for half a million bucks. We can't afford this. It's too big for us. None of our friends can. We're all like reading Dwell magazine and similar <laughs> magazine saying like, oh, when we're retired and rich, like we're going to build ourselves this house. And yeah. we're like, well, why don't we just do this now? Like for 
people like us, you know, starter yeah. homes basically uh, with a little bit higher design. So that's when we came up with the idea for the hundred K house. Um, and uh, we basically decided to build a 1000 square foot house for a hundred grand or thousand wow. bucks a square feet. That was kind of like the modern affordable benchmark back then that everyone was talking about in forums and online and whatnot. Um, and yeah, that was kind of like a lucky hunch or direction that we took it in we went into the next neighborhood over you know to buy land that was cheap enough to make all the numbers work and um that project kind of blew up we created a blog around it which was around for a while and it was just kind of the right time when nobody was blogging or talking online that much about um these kind of subjects now there's you know a million of them out there yeah so it was really just a lot of luck, honestly, like kind of the perfect storm of timing and concept that we came up with. And it kind of took off with the press and we kind of, you know, poked along and built two homes, then two more and then three more. And, you know, just kind of got a slow start that way. And it was right in the downturn. So nobody was lending. Yeah. Um, we had to get uh, we had to pre-sell um, all the homes before the banks would uh, lend us any money on the construction. So we were fortunate to do that. And, yeah, we just kind of kept on going with that. Is that, so? And it, sorry, just to clarify. Um, first of all, freaking amazing name. Was was the hundred k how much it cost you to build the house, or how much it would yeah. cost the person to buy the house? Yeah, how much it cost us. So okay, we did okay, get okay. some pushback <laughs> on that because we kind of started it as a builder case study. Huh, um, yeah. Because everywhere I went and talked to contractors or home builders, they were just like, "We can't do grain. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not affordable enough to do it. It's going to cost us 50 percent more." Yeah. So we were like, well, let's do a case study. And if we design it, you know, from scratch, from the beginning to be really efficient, that it can be sustainable. So, yeah, that first project was, you know, Energy Star, Lead Platinum, one lead uh, project of the year of 2010, I think. Wow. Um, and we built it for, it ended up being almost 1,200 square feet. I think we built it for like 108,000. I don't remember exactly. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then yeah, how, much did you, really how much did you end up selling it for? Roughly. Well, we had to buy the, that house, okay, uh, okay. but we built a similar house right next to it on the corner of the block for a little bit more money. I think we sold it for like 250 or something. It okay. was cheap. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. Wow. And was this post green homes? Is, is, is this, yeah. okay. This was post green homes. So post green homes was like, was the company behind this. And that's the company that you and your, and your wife started together. Correct. My wife and I, and my uh, best friend, Nick. Okay. Darling. Shout yeah, out to Nick. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, so post green home. So you, you do these cool projects, you get some cool media attention, you're blogging along the way, like before it was the cool thing to do. You probably would have had a podcast if podcasts were even remotely relevant back yeah, then. Um, sure. <laughs> and so, so that grows. And then, and then like, what, what happens? Like, do you, are you, do you do this like a hundred times over or how, like how many, how many times, how, how many homes do you end up building within the context of, of post green homes? And then how does it, how does it evolve? Is it, is it still something that's happening today? It's on the back burner right now, just because we're focused on local and the sure. hospitality. Um, but yeah, I mean, we scaled really slowly at the beginning. We did it all ourselves. We have no, we had no friends and family that had any money. Um, so <laughs> we we started a little bit slower, and we had to, you know, make connections kind of through the press we were getting with um, people that wanted to invest with us. And yeah, I you know I can't, I created a spreadsheet the other day, and I think it was like. I want to say since we started and now we've done like 20 
almost 25 projects, but only like 80, 90 units. Um, so we did a lot of really small projects. We even built one home once by itself, which was a mistake. Yeah. But we did a lot of two, three, four um, unit projects at the beginning of post green homes. And then we got into some like, like we did a 14 unit town home. We did a 30 some unit uh, kind of mixed use projects, some townhomes, some duplexes, one apartment building, condo building. Then we got into like small condo buildings as the price prices were going up because we wanted to maintain that. Um, we were kind of in the 70 to 120% AMI. We didn't want to build luxury, expensive homes. We wanted to keep that, you know, ethos or goal of creating, you know, higher quality um, home starter homes for average, you know, working folks in Philly. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. That is, that is incredible. I didn't, I didn't even realize this backstory when I was, uh, when I DM'd you on Twitter and, and asked for this conversation. So it's getting cooler by the minute. You're a kick-ass Airbnb host. In fact, you've done such a great job at marketing your short-term rental on Instagram that you're pretty much entirely booked for the next six to 12 months. And while it doesn't happen regularly, every so often there's a cancellation or just one random three-night window of availability in the middle of the week. Now, posting about the fact that you've had a cancellation or that you've got just three nights left in February on your Instagram story is a great start, but what if you could automatically notify interested guests the second a cancellation comes through? And that's where Ping comes in. Ping makes it easy for guests to be notified when their favorite Airbnbs become available. Ping is a simple widget that lives on your website or your direct booking site and integrates with your Airbnb listing and allows your fans and followers to sign up to be notified if their preferred dates become available. Here's how it works. Jimmy sees that you're booked for the whole month of October, but he wants to be notified if any three-night window in the month becomes available. Jen is a returning guest and wants to be notified if any week in June, July, or August becomes available. In a matter of seconds, Jimmy and Jen fill out the simple form and will be pinged if their requested dates become available. And as a host, you will immediately get pinged via email with Jimmy and Jen's contact information and requested dates, which allows you to build up your own database of guest email addresses. Ping, it's what the best Airbnb hosts use to maximize bookings. Sign up for free at www.bnbping.com. Ping. Brought to you by Spontaneous. Talk to us about uh, about local and like how how does the local hotel start? What's the founding story there? How do you guys go from after post green? You decide, hey, we've we've built these projects. W at what point in time do you get interested in like the hospitality space and and ultimately the short term rental space? Right. Yeah. Good question. So, local kind of started as a as casual conversations that my wife and I would have when we traveled together. So we would stay at a lot of Airbnbs and we would stay, if we were going on a nice vacation, we would seek out like a boutique hotel that was probably run by a family or something that wasn't too big or you're going to run into them, you know, maybe at the front desk, you can, you're going to get the real recommendations of where to go in the city, how to avoid tourist traps. The design is going to be, you know, a little bit more upscale, but also very unique to whatever they wanted. We just kind of like took a bunch of notes every time we traveled, never being too serious about it until we went to uh, Spain um, for our anniversary one year. And we stayed at this place called Vivood, V-I-V-O-O-D. 
And it's this, I'd never heard of anything like this. It was called a landscape hotel. Um, it was designed by a group of architects, developed and designed by them. And they were kind of like these modern uh, hotel rooms as pods, like on stilts on the side of this um, like agricultural valley. Uh, and they, they had like maybe 25 of them, just a beautiful setting. Um, and then they had a nice pool and a, and a restaurant there uh, just for the people staying. And we just had a blast there and we huh. loved it. We were like, this is amazing. Like, this is what we would love to do something like this in the, in the States. Like we're not seeing anybody doing anything like that. So that was kind of where we got serious, more serious about it. And we came home and we're like, Hey, why don't we give this a go? And we thought it would be just kind of like a side hustle type of thing. Like, Hey, let's start this other brand. We'll do some hotels here and there, but we'll keep post green homes going. Um, but we just fell in love with it. You know, we did the first one. Um, I mean, long story short, we decided that we needed to do something more traditional. So we did, uh, we looked in the city and we looked in, uh, we ended up in old city, which is right downtown one of the nicer neighborhoods, um, for our first location. Um, because as talking to investors, you know, throwing a bunch of pods out in the middle of nowhere in on a mountain in, in the U S without ever doing it, doing it, um, that wasn't going over too well. So <laughs> we figured we'd do a couple uh, normal things, establish the brand first. So that's what we did. And uh, yeah, it went, it went really well. And right as we launched the first one, we, we, we kind of turned to each other and we're like, man, we love doing this. And huh. we're kind of getting burned out with uh, spec homes for sure. We were about to get into some uh, multifamily rental apartment buildings. And that wasn't uh, looking too appetizing to us either. So we decided to just we sold everything we were doing with post green to investors or other developer friends and just went all in on hospitality. Wow. And so question for you, when, when it comes to sort of designing uh, a boutique hotel, right. Uh, versus a, a prefab home, I, I think I can understand why uh, the former is, is, is more interesting and, and is more exciting, but like, does your process, like how, how does your process differ? Like when you're thinking about these these design concepts, these initial these initial blueprints for for a boutique hotel, like do you start at a different place than you than you might if you were building kind of like a single unit or even kind of a a, a multifamily unit? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, I mean, first we kind of took our our bunch of notes and said we're purposely not going to learn anything about the hospitality industry too much. Like we don't want that to cloud our vision or concept or which was, you know, certainly a, a risk. Um, and we hired our first designers, uh, Jersey ice cream co who had been doing a bunch of kind of like, um, second homes or, uh, for people, uh, but they hadn't done any hospitality. So we kind of like put together a team from the beginning that purposely was not from this hospitality world. Huh. And we just kind of went run with, uh, all the ideas that we thought made sense to us as a group. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, they, I mean, the rooms are much different. They look kind of similar. They are apartment style, but there's, you know, there's no big closets in them. There's no walk-in closets. There's um, the space is very efficient. You know, you don't have to worry about storage like you would a normal condo or apartment because you know, nobody's living there. Um, and so we design things a lot differently than that. You know, we try to make the bathrooms really nice and maybe a little bit bigger, but the spaces can be a little bit more unique. You know, the kitchens are very much more streamlined, a lot of open cabinets or open shelves instead of cabinets above them and smaller appliances than normal because nobody's staying there for more than, you know, two or three days. Um, so, yeah, we go about it 
quite a bit differently and, and are designing it specifically as um, a hotel room. And we do the same thing with our vacation homes. Like we're not, we're tearing out all the closets and vacation homes. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Do you, is and, it, you know, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying we got a lot of pushback from people because everyone wanted like, well, just design it. And then if it doesn't work, you can just condoize it and sell it or sell it as apartment building. And I'm like, well, we kind of got to go all in. Like this is a hotel. We're not doing, you know, we're not just some people who are Airbnb, yeah. you know, apartments illegally on the side. Like, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. Full all in hotels, you know, it went, went last. I have so many design questions, but last last one for for now anyways is. Is there a is there a space like when you because you guys have done this uh, a couple times over now is there a is there a particular aspect whether it's the lobby or like the common space or or the bathroom like what where do you like to put more of your attention? Right. Yeah. Good question. So yeah, most traditional hotels are spending a fortune on their lobbies usually, yeah. right? Yeah. But we we don't have lobbies. We're this invisible service. There's no front desk. It's more Airbnb style where, you know, you communicate with us on email and text and you get a code, you know, the morning of the check in with instructions. Um, so you'll often run into one of our employees. Like if you're in Cape May, you'll run into my wife. She runs it herself down here. Um, but we're not there uh, all the time. So we're definitely not spending um, a lot in the lobbies and we're keeping them really, really small. Um, where do we spend a lot of money? I mean, we one of our core ethos is to use as many local, we call them local makers. Yeah, um, like very on brand, makers, yes. You know? <laughs> and uh, so we're trying to use as many small businesses, as many small artists, craftspeople, um, you know, in our Fishtown place, I think we used over 50 different people. Um, that was kind of the neighborhood we lived in. So it was easier to find people there. But um, so we've, you know, talked, getting to know the hospitality world a bit more and talking to some of the designers in that space, you know, they're looking at our budgets and saying, you're spending way too much on this furniture. Like yeah. you should be buying it from China or India, blah, blah. I can have it custom made. It's going to look just as good. And we're like, yeah, we're going to use somebody local. No, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No. And so we're, I, yeah, we definitely spend a lot more on the, the typical furnishings than, than I think most you, people yeah, do. Yeah. But again, like that's that's a that's a brand play, um, and it's important to stay consistent as long as uh, as long as your name is local. Um, uh, so, <laughs> right. so you guys have so you started with Old City, uh, a boutique hotel in in Philly, and then you mentioned Fishtown, and then and then I know you also have Cape May uh, Micro Resort. So how how like soon after you had the Old City uh, boutique up and running, did you did you move to Fishtown and like? Like what was the what was the time between those, um, and what challenges, if any, did you encounter the second time over that you that you hadn't the the initial time, and or was the second time over yeah. just a heck of a lot easier than the first time? Right. Yeah. Good question. So the first one in Old City was a historic re renovation, um, and that actually went fairly we still had our own construction company um so we built that ourselves and um that went you know fairly smoothly besides not realizing how much money we were going to have to spend for hospitality so we definitely like went over budget on our first one um had no idea what it was going to cost for all that furniture and just yeah. making the spaces like a lot nicer and like you know i went crazy with you know we really wanted to go all out in the first one establish the brand because we're like if we cut corners on the first one like we're just not going to be able to establish ourselves as a fatality you know company 
So um, we definitely had to to uh, figure out those those budget issues there. Yeah. The second one was in Fishtown was new construction. It was right in our backyard. We're used to building in Fishtown, but we definitely the permitting process drug on a bit, and the, that's when we realized that there's nowhere in most cities or townships code for what we were trying to do. So we're building a six unit, you know, walk up hotel hmm. and it's, it's a hotel. It's zoned as a hotel. It's built as a hotel, but in the, in the building code, you know, we're the same held to the same standards as a 200 room hotel yeah. with all the things that comes with that. So um, when we submitted our plans, the city was basically like, you need two stairs and an elevator for you know, any hotel, no matter what size it is. And we're like, guys, we got six rooms and four stories here. Obviously that can't fit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we had to go through a variance process there and kind of up our um, fire rating uh, and some other things that they asked us to do in order to get, to get approved. But that was a, that was a learning experience right there and that really delayed that that second project quite a bit because all the hoops we had to go through with permitting yeah and like i mean when you're talking about these things like my head just starts spinning too because i'm like that must have just been like so like so soul sucking to like have to figure all this stuff out and like like how did you know how did you know what you were doing were you just like googling a lot like how like how did, how did you even know who to go to to get the i guess you had been building stuff for a while so you probably knew a little bit but like how did you we know where to go for a while yeah yeah we had been building for a while i submitted all the permits myself all okay. the time okay. I, I knew the codes inside and out in philly um and you know knew all the people so it, it was it, it just, you know, things came up. We changed our minds a couple of times about how we wanted to do it. Um, so, yeah, our permitting process was very inefficient there compared to how we used to do homes. Yeah. Yeah. From a from a brand standpoint, um, did you did you guys kind of weigh the pros and cons of like having one parent brand of, of local versus, hey, let's just establish you know, three to, to, to four totally independent brands. Did you guys weigh the pros and cons of, 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 um, each, each approach? And, and if so, uh, how did you, how did you come to the decision to, to kind of, you know, keep local as, as, as the core, like parent brand, as opposed to three completely unrelated concepts? Yeah. Great question. I mean, I could talk all day about that probably, but you know, branding is kind of one of our, uh, strong suits and something that we really enjoy doing. So having done it with post green homes in a more, you know, unofficial or uh, less professional kind of way, when we knew we wanted to do hospitality, like we just went straight into figuring out how we wanted it. We knew we wanted one brand for sure and do all the locations underneath it. We wanted everyone to know what that brand stood for. Yeah. Um, but with the whole local, you know, thing, we had decided that, all right, we're not going to create a hotel brand where everything looks the same everywhere we go. Um, so everything is curated to exactly, not just that town or city, but that neighborhood that it's in. So wow, Fishtown, an old city, you know, same city, obviously in Philly, but very different vibes. Um, old city has, we had um, the designers do all um, natural plaster on all the walls. So it brought back that kind of original look that it had hundreds of years ago. They did all um unlacquered brass for all the fixtures and handles and everything so they're aging and like you know look like they're you know more than five years old now they probably look like they're 50 years old now um and 
and then in Fishtown. So that was this kind of like modernized but historic kind of take. And then Fishtown is all just completely like Scandinavian modern, black, white, matte black, um, and uh, wood, like white oak everywhere. Um, Cause it's more of a, you know, hippie, hipper, grittier vibe up there. Yeah. Did um, you, did you guys so. use totally different like design teams every for each concept too? Or did, did you find designers that you like loved and they you were able to use them three times over? Yeah, we did use different people. So we used that Jersey ice cream uh, for the first one and they were, they had relocated out of Philly, but they kind of got their roots started in Philly. Um, so we wanted to use somebody that was local um, we loved like their aesthetic and the natural plaster they did. Um, yeah. So that was a big draw and they, they just crushed it, you know, and they, they had never done hospitality, like I said, really before. So that that's what we wanted. You know, we wanted to kind of figure it out together and, and do something unique that nobody was doing. So they were even giving input on like, you know, coffee makers and how, you know, all that kind <laughs> of stuff that they picked up all the, all the books and, you know, they just crushed it. They really helped us get a, a good, the brand, get a good start um, as well. Cause you know, people knew who they were. They had no idea who we were. Yeah. Um, and then the second one, we actually used our, our true hand society who did our branding um, for the first one. So we had true hand society is like a tattoo parlor and design branding uh, company. It's a pretty cool, unique company in Fishtown. Um, so they had done all of our branding. They had like hand painted our signs for the first location. Like they were very hands-on. And, you know, we could tell they had a great design aesthetic and we both lived in Fishtown. We all worked and lived in Fishtown. And the second one, I was like, hey, you guys ever thought about doing interior design? Like we've got the second one feels like you guys are capable of doing this. And they jumped on it. They were like, absolutely. So um, that was a that was a fun, interesting process because like they weren't they didn't never use CAD. They designed yeah. the whole interiors in in like creative suite. Oh, my gosh. Um, which was kind of a fun process. And, um, but yeah, they, they picked it up and they, they figured it out quickly and, you know, meeting with all the craftspeople was fun. They, they really helped us get, you know, a ton of unique people there. Um, and it came out nice Went I, went over budget for sure yeah. <laughs> again, but <laughs> it came out nice. But dude, you know, you know, one of the cool things about your, your approach here, which I think is just genius is finding, finding people that are, that have, clear creative and design talent but are primarily operating in a totally different space and then saying hey like what if you come and work on a project like this well obviously there are there are risks i imagine that the rewards most of the time will will outweigh the risks simply because if it's a, if it's a new thing and you're dealing with creative people creative people love new things right like they love right. they love working on new challenges and again you get you, you probably you get fresh takes for one but then you, there's also probably uh, a, a stronger willingness to kind of work harder, right? And like work right. deeper for you because it's the first time they've ever done something like this. And if it does go well, hey, maybe this changes the, you know, course of their creative, you know, direction and or even the 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 course of their studio or where, or what have you. So I, I like the I like the idea of like finding talent that might not necessarily be talent within your respective industry, harnessing that and and applying it. Um uh, in, in a context that makes sense for you. So that's, that's, that's brilliant. Um, I want to, I want to like ask you, you said kind of casually that there's, you know, no lobby, there's not, there's no real kind of like traditional front desk, um, uh, at your, at your concepts, uh, at your hotels here. So are, what, what tech, like, what does your tech stack look like? Like, how are you, how are you running, uh, the hotels without like 
people in your lobby. Right. Yeah, good question. I've gotten more on Twitter into like the STR world. So we talk more about that there, I guess. But uh, my wife, first of all, runs everything. I don't I don't run anything at all. I design it. You know, I I manage the construction. I do the marketing. But like as soon as the space is done, like it's all her. So I got to give her the props for for operating it. She's like the most efficient person you've ever seen. She probably (laughs) get more work than the average person done by like 9.30 or 10 a.m. Um, so she just crushes it there. She's got a, a good team behind her. Um, but yeah, we kind of look at all of our tech to be, uh, the goal was simple at the beginning. It's like, we want to be able to run these hotels from our phone anywhere in the world. Um, you know, doing anything wherever we are. So every single time we make a decision on our tech, it's like, all right, does it have an app or does it work on the phone? Can we do this? Uh, what can we automate? you know, blah, 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 blah. So there's a lot of things that are automated now. You know, the door codes are kind of, we we enter those into people's account and then that gets auto-populated to emails and text messages. So, you know, we did everything manually at first, but now a lot of stuff is um, streamlined and kind of automated for people um, to make that easier. What are, what are some of like the, your, your favorite tools that are like a part of your tech stack that you do that's been like, oh, wow, like once we got this, this thing set up, it like was a, a real game changer. I don't think I would call any of the tools we use favorite. I hate them all. <laughs> I don't think there's any, you know, it's a perfectly wrong size for this tech. You know, the big guys are spending millions of dollars creating exactly what they want custom. Yeah. Small guys can get away with whatever. We're trying to look like the big guys and and be somewhere in the middle, and it's just it's a nightmare out there. Honestly, sounds like an opportunity for uh, for anyone <laughs> listening who's interested, uh, who's uh, entrepreneurial and thinking to build. But um, but yeah, so so you guys have you get it. If if I were to book like uh, a room at one of uh, locals hotels, I would go to your website, right? I would. Are you guys listed on other OTAs? Like, are you are are these places listed on Airbnb or Expedia or or you know? anywhere else yeah, so we are on airbnb for everything i believe uh we do very little airbnb in the hotels like probably two or three percent okay and that might be five or ten percent on the homes um depending on the home so most of it's direct bookings uh and then we are listed on all the major ota so we're on you know i i guess it's what booking.com and hotel.com or expedia or something yeah, and then yeah. they they go out to all their people so yeah we're on all those for the um for the hotels, but we probably do 10, 15% max on OTA. So we have a really high direct booking, usually 80% or, or up for direct booking, which we're told is, is that's incredible. Yeah. Industry. That's amazing. So if I, if I happen to stumble upon you all on Instagram or blog or whatever, and I find your, I find your, your website, I go and I, I click book, I reserve my room. Then I'm going to get some sort of confirmation email. Are you guys using like like what, what are you, what tech are you using for all your like automated communications and, and messaging? So the, the PMS we use, um, we're the same, uh, place that books and handles our calendars and everything is, um, automating the majority of the emails for the people. Okay. Um, so that'll send out the first email to them, you know, confirmation. And then, um, again, this is more my wife's, uh, world, but you know, a day or two before, you'll get kind of a reminder email like, hey, remember you booked, uh, these, these are the days. Sometimes people book the wrong days. And then um, you'll get a code emailed to you either the night before or the morning of, and then you'll get a text message 
the morning of your stay, which is kind of new for us to do yeah. that um, reminds you, uh, Hey, you you got a booking today that all the information's in your, in your email. And in the, and you know, some of the emails will give them links to our guides or on what to do in the area, where to go to eat, stuff like that. So by the time, you know, the morning of their booking comes in, they we've given them access to a lot of information plus made it um, very clear how they're going to, um, check in where they're going to park, all that kind of stuff. And do you have like a primary guest persona? Like, I guess why, why are people coming to stay at local as opposed to staying at a hotel versus staying at like a, a an Airbnb or another short-term rental? Like, what do you, what do you think? Cause 80% direct bookings is, is, is very high. Um, and so like, what, what do you think it is about the experience that you offer that is attracting the kind of traveler that you're attracting? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I have on my wall taped next to me, like a draft of like a dozen personas, which I'll probably never fill out, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot, you know, a lot of different uh, people that stay with us for sure. But I think I almost sometimes kind of refer to them as like professional travelers. Um, they're obviously like design. They're obviously willing to pay, you know, we're not uh, and none of our locations are inexpensive. That's for sure. So they're willing to pay up for uh, a nicer design, a little bit nicer experience, a little bit bigger space. Um, and they are not, uh, you know, they don't need a front, like a lot of them kind of joke, like, yeah, I've been traveling all my life. I don't need to talk to the front desk person for 15 minutes after I stood in line for 10 minutes. You know, I don't (laughs) care about all your little specials and where you want me to go to eat. Like, you know, I can figure that out on my own. I can read your guides, blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, sometimes we'll get people from the OTAs that have no idea who we are. And you can tell they're like very reliant on that traditional hotel experience. They want the room service. They want to talk five times a day to the person at the front desk. So sometimes we'll have issues with those guests who have no idea what they've booked literally because in the OTA it just says like queen deluxe, you know, it doesn't say like, it doesn't explain what we actually are. Um, But that's kind of few and far between. And usually, you know, once they walk into the room, they're like, Oh, okay. This is nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's fascinating. A couple final questions for you, man. Um, First and foremost, you have, I don't know how recently, but you, I, I met you on Twitter, right? We connected on Twitter. And so, and I've seen, um, several of your threads and just your comments on other people's threads and was really, have been really, uh, intrigued by, by your perspective, which again is why I reached out and why we're having this conversation today. What are, I'm just curious, like, what are a couple of hot takes like you have, uh, around the SDR space, the hospitality space, like as you, as you've been in, you know, the really immersed in in the industry for for years now, and again, you've done a lot of different things. Um, what are what are some sort of like beliefs or or again hot takes that you have about this space and 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 the future of it? Right. Yeah, I don't know. I got a lot of hot takes. I'm probably not the best person to answer this question. I, I honestly try to keep my head down and not learn and get too involved in the hospitality space a lot. But I have been enjoying getting to know people on Twitter. And I've been learning a lot. Um, and I was kind of off Twitter for years until I decided to pick it back up. And yeah, it's the community out there with Retweet and SDR has been great. But um, I don't know. I guess I've noticed like, and we kind of saw this too. I, I went to my wife, you know, when we started local, and I said, I'm starting to feel that people are 
about to start doing more of what we're thinking about doing, which is creating this own little boutique brand. And they've never really been in the industry. Like, I feel like it's now or never, if we're going to create a brand and stand out. Um, so now I think you're seeing that a couple of years later, what, four or five years later, I'm seeing a lot more people that are um, going down a similar route that we are creating their own brand or really creating a nice team and aesthetic for their places. Um, so I think that's definitely on the rise. I yeah. think, you know, people doing little Airbnbs on the side, um, not putting a lot of attention into it is kind of, on, I don't know if I want to say on its way out, but, you know, they can't compete with the groups that are really, you know, devoting a lot of time and effort. And there's a lot of people doing smart things out there and you know, everyone's doing something different. Like their niche is a little bit different here or there. I think that's gonna um, continue. And a lot of people are kind of saying the same thing. Like, I'm, I'm building this and, you know, starting the institutions are starting to look at it. And, you know, if I build something really nice in 10 or 20 years, like maybe somebody's gonna, you know, buy up the whole portfolio. Um, which is something that's not really a goal of ours, but we certainly, you know, talk about it, you sure. know, let's build this thing. So it's attractive to somebody if, you know, that that's a potential um, exit in the future. So you just, you have to think about not just every location and what you're doing there, but how the brand is being operated as a whole. And like, we protect our brand, like so vehemently, especially my wife, like she's all about, which I love. Cause like I, I get, she lets me create the brands and then she's just like the most, urban like enforcer yeah yeah that's <laughs> dude you need yeah you need those people um otherwise yeah. it falls apart um yeah. well that's great man final final question for you is just what do the next couple of years look like for for local like you guys have three <laughs> three places right now um i'm sure given even just our brief chat now that and knowing what i have learned a little bit about you and how your brain works and uh, the ideas that you have, I'm sure that there are other ideas and concepts out there. So like, are you, is it, is the goal to double, triple kind of uh, properties that you have right now? Is it to really just double down on the existing properties and grow experiences and augment the properties with, uh, with other sorts of experiences that guests might be able to purchase? Like where, where's your head at with respect to the growth of the local brand over, let's say like the next two to three years? <laughs> Yeah, uh, good question. I've been a little, we've been a little all over that, especially the pandemic has, has shaken up some of our plans for sure. Yeah. So uh, my wife made me like take a year off after we finished the Cape May location and kind of figure out what we want to do next. And honestly, kind of still in that, that mode right now. So we don't have any concrete plans to, uh, like I said, we kind of got burned out by the real estate industry, all this, like we got a double, we got a triple, like blah, blah we're kind of sick of that. Yeah. We're like, we're at a comfortable place right now. Um, we're talking to a lot of different people, you know, there might be partnerships with people in the future. Um, but we're, we're, I, I, we don't really have any really concrete, um, direction, honestly, right now we're definitely going to, um, we've been doing uh, some stuff in the background with our architects KGO, which just got onto Twitter last week. So check them out. But uh, we are going to announce some stuff with them soon. We've designed some um, vacation home plans nice. with them. Nice. We plan to build uh, some of those ourselves. We plan to potentially sell those to other people. Um, but they're, you know, home detached, you know, vacation home plans that are reasonable in size, but definitely devoted to STRs. Like there's no, again, there's no like massive closets. There's no wasted space. 
Um, they're fairly efficient, but high design, you know, so you could build them for a decent budget, but, but rent them for a premium. Um, that's something we'll be, uh, I'll be talking about a lot more very soon and uh, we'll definitely be doing. But yeah, as far as the larger hotels, we definitely got a lot of ideas and a lot of potential irons in the fire, but too early to announce anything now for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, you guys have done a lot over the last few years. You've <laughs> built this incredible brand, and uh, I, from what I've from what I've learned, um, which from from folks have come on this show too, sometimes just being a little bit more cautious and being a little bit more disciplined in in your focus, uh, is, it actually yields uh, significant more returns than if you're you quickly jump into the next thing just because somewhere somewhere someone told you that that was uh, that that was how you needed to play the game. But I, right. more often than not, I feel like the people that decide to play a, a slightly different game uh, end up coming out on top in in the long run, whatever that even really means. But uh, but dude, this was a this was a, a real privilege. Thank you, know, thank you for all the the work that you're doing. Thank you for the brand that you've built. I think it's a, it's a really cool example for folks um, who are maybe aspiring hospitality entrepreneurs that are considering something like this, whether they've been in the space for a while or I think you might getting into it. I think it's a really it's really cool to have multiple examples of approaches that you could take to to building your own collection or building your own you know boutique hotels so thanks for for all the hard work um for folks who want to connect with you and or learn a little bit more about local we'll have like your website in the show notes below we'll have your twitter profile in the show notes below is there anywhere else you'd like to send folks uh, who are listening to this conversation who might want to connect and or just follow y'all's journey uh, no, yeah, you can follow Stay Local on pretty much any uh, social channel. And then on my personal channels, whether it's Instagram or Twitter, I'm a lot more, you know, less polished and say whatever I want to kind of, uh, <laughs> but I'm not allowed to say in the brand. So, yeah, if you feel like hearing the, seeing the behind, I do a lot of behind the scenes stuff too uh, that I can't, that's not like good enough quality to put on the uh, company social. So. Yeah, feel free to take a look at the personal stuff as well. Well, great. I'll go ahead and I'll link all that stuff in the show notes below. So if you want to connect with Chad and see what he and the team at Local are up to, just scroll down to the show notes and pick your link of choice. Uh, thank you, sir, for your time. It's been a privilege. Thank you, Zach. It's been fun. I appreciate it. Honor. Hey friends, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you are an Airbnb host or know an Airbnb host who'd like to come on the show, please send me an email at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at spontaneous.com and we will chat. Behind the Stays is brought to you each week by Spontaneous, a carefully curated weekly newsletter that brings you the best last minute deals and upcoming steals on Airbnb. It's sort of like Scott's cheap flights, but for Airbnb. You can sign up once again for free at spontaneous.com. Last but certainly not least, I didn't believe in Marie Kondo's whole spark joy mantra until I started podcasting. Now, my joy is sparked every time I see a new subscriber roll in. So please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and so you add a little spark to my joy fire today. Okay, that was kind of weird, but um, we're going to roll with it. Subscribe, um, and thanks in advance. All right, everyone, see you next time.